Coming up on this week's show, we talk about the best books of 2019 with Jay from Joyfully Jay and Lisa from The Novel Approach. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 221 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com, and with me as always is my co-host and husband, Will Knaus. Hello, everybody. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. We'll have more information on how you can join them at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week. We hope everyone had a fantastic week. Welcome back to another episode. And no matter how you chose to celebrate, we hope you had a wonderful holiday season. The new year is staring us down. It's right around the corner. Indeed, it is just, it's it's right over there waiting to come in later this week. And I am looking forward to whatever 2020 is going to bring. I think it's going to be awesome. Yeah. And in reference to the new year, let's take a, let's look back. <laughs> that, was, that was my lame, uh, lame attempt at a sound effect. <laughs> that was a, yeah, okay. Uh, we're going to take a quick look back at the top five podcast episodes from 2019. And for reference, we started the year with K.A. Mitchell in episode 170, and we wrapped it up this week with episode 221. In total, we produced 54 episodes when you include the various bonus episodes that we did this past year. And yes, I personally count them. <laughs> oh, I, I totally count them. I mean, if you if you think about it, I didn't do the counts when I put that together. But you figure that means we produced really close to 56, 57 hours of content. Not all the bonus episodes, you know, were a full hour like our normal shows are. But that's a good 55 hours of content. And so for all of you who've stuck with us for all that, thank you so much. That's over two days worth of audio content. That'd be a good book on Audible, right? That would be totally worth your your credit of a 55-hour audiobook. Ooh, there's a business idea for 2020. (laughs) Okay, let's get down to business. The number five most popular episode was number 197, and that was our interview with Jackie Gregg from Blush Magazine. I really enjoyed talking to Jackie and finding out how she decided to create a magazine. So often, you know, we don't think of magazines anymore, but... She did it, and it's it's out there, and it, it's, a, it's a good read. The fourth most popular episode was 195, and that was our interview with Annabeth Albert, and she was talking about the grand finale of her Frozen Hearts series. I know you loved that series so, so much, and I, I'm, I was glad to see Annabeth make this list. Coming in at number three, we have episode 194, and that was our interview with Lee Wind, and he was here on the show talking about his YA novel, Queer is a $5 Bill. YA is one of my passions, so I am so thrilled that a YA author made it into the the top five episodes, and in particular that book, because that book, that interview with him is something I've heard other people talk about throughout the year as a, as a book that really resonated for them. So great to see him in the top three. And coming in at number two, we have episode 196. That was our interview with Rowan Parrish, and she was here talking about her Ribbon series. I was so delighted to talk to Rowan. Not only an author that has been in this industry for a long time, but I so adored Thrall, which we also got to talk about during that particular interview. 
And the number one most popular episode of 2019 was number 187. And that was our interview with Casey McQuiston about her debut novel, Red, White, and Royal Blue. I love this book. I'll just give a spoiler. It's going to be in my top list that I talk about a little later in this episode. So thrilled for the year that she's had. She's ended up on so many best of lists for this book crossing into mainstream romance lists with it as well so I'm, I'm thrilled i'm thrilled for the year she's had and i'm not at all surprised that she's our number one episode so a great big thank you to everyone who has appeared on our top five list and thank you to all of the authors who came on the show in 2019 you're the reason we do what we do keep writing those amazing books we look forward to what you have for us in 2020 yeah, I, I'm super excited. I know, you know, obviously we know some of the authors we're talking to in the first quarter of 2020. We're not going to spoil that list for you guys. And I look forward to to all the authors that we're going to get to talk to in the new year. So keeping our look back going, as we mentioned at the top of the show, we have Jay from Joyfully Jay here, as well as Lisa from The Novel Approach. We hear from them about their top list, and we're going to kick that off with Jay, who's got her top five books. Plus, she's going to give us a little peek at what she's looking forward to in 2020. And I'm very happy to welcome Jay from Joyfully Jay back to the show. Happy holidays. Almost happy new year. Yeah. Hi, Jeff. Thanks so much. Happy holidays to you, too. So we're talking all about best of 2019 as the year runs out this week. Tell us what's been going on on Joyfully Jay, and then we can get into your list. Oh, great. Yeah, December is always a crazy time for us because we try to get all of our end of year um, celebrations packed in there. So over the last few weeks, we did a holiday gift guide, which was kind of fun. I shared a lot of my favorite, mostly non-book related things, and some of my reviewers jumped in with some of their favorite things. So it was sort of a um, Oprah-esque our favorite things without being able to give everyone cars. But we did do a giveaway. <laughs> well, darn, I'm disappointed there I were no know. cars. <laughs> uh, we did do a giveaway with that, which is over. But I think that the um, gift guide has lots of fun things if people want to check that out. We also did our um, update of our annual holiday favorites post. So every year I take our current list and update it with new books that are out. So if you are still looking for some holiday books, we have a whole bunch of new ones as well as highlights of our favorites going back many years. And then we had about a week and a half of um, best of 2019 posts. Mine as well as many of my reviewers joined in with their own favorites. So um, I always think it's a lot of fun to see what they pick because obviously I read all of their reviews when it comes out. So it's really interesting to me to see what they loved and what really stuck with them over the year. and. Also, just interesting to see how wide-ranging it is in terms of, you know, some of us are picking a lot of the same authors and some of us are picking authors that, you know, I haven't even read. So it's amazing that you can see the real breadth that we have um, in our community and what's been published this year and the types of things that really stick with people. So I'll give you the link. Folks can go and they can see all of our favorites lists for the year, as well as we have an end-of-year favorite covers which I also really like because I love to give shout out to some of the artists that really can make a big impact on a book. So we have all of that stuff um, up online now that folks can check out. So if people's TBRs didn't grow enough over Christmas already and Hanukkah and everything, now they can just bulk it all in as the new year starts. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It is. It's a, it's a crazy time of year. I mean, I'm like, writing down books as I read other people's favorites lists because it's really interesting to see and it's amazing even with 
hundreds and hundreds of books coming across our desk over the course of the year. There's still things that I've missed that I um, realize I want to check out. So it's that's a lot of fun. So what made your top list for 2019? Sure. So I had a top 10. And then I had a bunch of honorable mentions where I snuck in all those ones that were so close and I couldn't leave out, but I was trying to be somewhat contained. Although I think I read somewhere in the 225 book range. Wow. Um, So I think I can be forgiven for being able to squeak in a few more because it's really hard to narrow down when you've read so many books. But I came up with my top 10. I'm going to share five of them with you today. And then I'll tease everyone and say, if you want to see the rest, then you can go and check out my best of 2019 post. So start off, I'll say The Hitman's Guide to Staying Alive Despite Past Mistakes by Alice Winters. It's a mouthful of a title, follow up to her first book, the other first Hitman's Guide. So this is the second book in the series, and you probably want to read, read them in order. But it features a private investigator, Jackson, and a former or almost former hitman in Leland. If you're a fan of Alice Winter's sort of humorous style and banter and sort of the witty interplay that she does so well between her characters, then this book is everything that you would want from her. It was a you know top-rated book for me for the year. I loved the first one as well, but this one I think was just that little bit funnier and more romantic and poignant. And she does humorous romantic suspense so well so there's exciting moments and there's funny moments and there's really tender moments as you see um jackson and leland interact so i highly recommend this series and the second book in particular is awesome and i've heard although i have not had the chance to listen that the audio is also wonderful so we're reviewing that in a couple of weeks but i've heard fabulous things about the audio for these as well so any of those options are for sure worth checking out yeah, and Alice, this series is is top of my TBR already because I love yeah. I loved her in Darkness series and I've been eager yes. to read these. Yes, and if you write in Darkness, then I think the tone of these is very similar to that. That sort of suspense combined with humor, combined with banter. I think that Felix and Leland are like brothers separated at birth, so there's a lot of that same personality, and Jackson is sort of the the straight man, but he's so sweetly indulgent and so clearly besotted um, by Leland that you just can't help love the way they interact. I need these books bad. these books! <laughs> My next one that actually made both our holiday favorites and our end of year is Mr. Naughty List by Lita Blake. This is a um, holiday story. It was a follow-up to Mr. Frosty Pants, although, which was last year's holiday release. The book stands alone very well. There's some crossover of some minor characters, but certainly you could read this as a standalone. But this is sexy, dirty, former student and former teacher. So it's now been about five years, I believe, since they were together. So there's definitely not a underage or inappropriate teacher-student element here, but the guys play a little bit with the taboo of that in some of their interaction. So it's sort of used to make things fun and sexy, but is definitely not a taboo relationship. But what I think it's really nice is that both of these guys sort of have that lost and lonely feeling. And I really love the way that you see what starts out as this holiday fling that's meant to be, you know, a few weeks while RJ is in town, how that moves to a relationship where these guys are really um, so serious about each other. And I particularly love that they are honest and forthright and talk about their feelings. There's not this whole, like, 
I'm going to refuse to admit that I'm moving from a fling to something real. They're very open with each other as they talk about it and work through it. So um, this is if you like sexy and kinky, but also that warm holiday romantic feeling, this is an awesome one. And again, this is one that I've heard really positive things from almost everybody who's read it. So definitely worth picking up. Awesome. Cool. Probably my, I'm just going to come out and say it, probably my favorite book of the year, Mysterious and Amazing Blue Billings by Lily Morton. I am an enormous Lily Morton fan. Funny enough, I stumbled upon her several years ago during our reading challenge when I was looking for a self-published book and she happened to send me a request and I'd never even heard of her and have since gobbled up every single thing on her list. And I think I probably read more than a handful of her books this year. And I would say I could have put five of her books in my top 10 without blinking an eye. I mean, that's how good I think her writing is. Mm -hmm. um, but the reason that I think this one stands out for me is because she tends to write contemporary and sort of a humorous banter style. Similar in some ways to Alice's style, where there's a lot of banter between the two characters, which is something that's my total catnip. But this one is a paranormal. And so I was really impressed that she was able to make that shift in genre because not everyone can do that. And it is a sort of haunted house ghost story that takes place between Levi, who inherits this house in New York, and Blue, who is a ghost tour operator. And Levi's house is haunted and Blue is helping him investigate to figure out just what's causing the problem. And it is funny and romantic and sexy and scary and like sh the way that um not terrifying but definitely scary like this is a thrilling book and i was just blown away not by just by how much i love the story itself but also by the way she was able to transition from sort of contemporary humor to something that was just exciting and thrilling and at times terrifying but also heartwarming and romantic and it sounds like there's going to be more for these, so I am really excited because I think she's onto something really um, great with this book and with this series. See, just keep adding to my TBR. I did mixed. Uh -oh. I did her mixed messages series this year. Yes. Uh, and finally got on that bandwagon. So now I'm intrigued to see how she does a little paranormal and a little scary. Yeah, it is. It really. Um, like I said, I was really impressed because that's not something that's necessarily easy to do um, to make that transition. And I think that she did a really, a really excellent job with it. So I love that. And of all of the books that I read of hers this year, which was many, that was my favorite. Cool. So another one that I'll throw a shout out to is Mastering the Flames by S.J. Himes. This book is part of her urban fantasy Beacon Hill Sorcerer series, which I'm a huge fan of. I've read some of the books. I've listened to some of them on audio, and Joel Leslie is the narrator, so I can recommend um, them highly in either format. This is the fourth book of the series, and what I think was really interesting and stood out for me here, aside from just the fact that it's a great series and a great book, is that the first three books focused on Simeon and Angel, who are a necromancer and vampire living in Boston. And again, it's urban fantasy, so all sorts of fighting bad guys that's happening. Um, and then this fourth book is Angel's brother Isaac and the vampire Constantine. So Isaac is a witch and Constantine is a vampire. And I think what really stood out for me of this book that sort of pushed it over the edge is that Simeon and Angel are hugely beloved main characters, and Angel is a very larger than life. 
And making this transition to bringing in another couple really could have been rocky if she hadn't handled it so beautifully in terms of showing that um, Isaac is not just sort of Angel 2.0, but that he's his own character. And the way she develops, he has a history of um, alcoholism and as the way that she shows him coming out of that and finding his life and suddenly being an adult and faced with this future that he really never even saw for himself because for so long he's been mired in alcoholism that has been his only focus and grief from the loss of their family. And then it's almost like he's sort of coming awake as an adult and has to figure out how to navigate his life again. And so I really love the way the story gives you, you know, purely Isaac and Angel and Simeon are still very active in the story. And if you're fans of them, you won't be disappointed. But I think she really did a wonderful job of um, taking these side characters and bringing them into the forefront and giving us their story in a way that really integrates nicely with the rest of the series. And some teasers in there for the um, next book, which are two more side characters, a, a multi-thousand-year-old elf and another witch apprentice. And they're great side characters, and they're coming up next. So I'm really super excited about this series. Again, this is Beacon Hill Sorcerer, and you do want to start at the beginning, but definitely can recommend them. Fantastic. So, and then the last one I want to mention is Proper English by K.J. Charles. So this is a female-female um, romance and a historical, which K.J. Charles does so well. And um, this is a really fun story. It is a house party, and Pat and Fenn are um, two of the guests who meet there, and it, it, there is a murder during the house party. And so this is your very sort of traditional dark and stormy night, closed door, we're all locked in this house together, someone is dead, and now we have to figure it out while we wait for the police to show up. So there's sort of that, you know, clue, you know, closed door mystery, we have to figure it all out in time vibe to it, which is really fun. And Pat and Fenn are such interesting characters because both are women who are very much put into a little box. Fenn is sort of thought to be beautiful and frivolous and decorative. And Pat is sort of thought to be basically a man who's not a man. You know, they treat her as sort of one of the boys. And they're both very boxed in. And seeing them find each other and come into their own over the course of the story as they take the lead in investigating the mystery is just so much fun. This was a five-star read for me and um, definitely excellent if you like historical or you like mystery or again just to sort of see the way these women are fighting against the social constructs of their time. You know, they either need to be thought of as nothing but sort of a pretty frivolous woman or they need to be basically thought of as a man because the idea of a woman being strong and having her own agency and still being a woman just wasn't even something that they were thinking about. So I think that K.J. Charles really explores some interesting things here wrapped up in this sort of fun murder mystery house party backdrop, which I really liked. Mm -hmm. That's cool. I've never read a K.J. Charles book. Maybe that maybe that will be my first because I feel oh, yeah. like she's wonderful. She's so um, consistently highly rated that it's like I need oh, to get on that. Yes. The Charm of Magpie series is the first um, books I read of hers and still holds a place as one of my my favorite series because it's amazing but I don't think I've read anything by her that I haven't I haven't loved so this one is loosely connected to another book that she has out but completely a standalone same world but yeah I mean there's nothing that um she's written that I couldn't recommend 
Awesome. Well, those are good, good books. I'm, I'm sure a whole bunch of people's TBRs just went up like mine did, which yeah, is the whole point I after all. So. I hope so. Anything out there that you're particularly looking forward to as 2020 opens? Sure. A couple things I'm really excited about. One is the the Secret Thing by E.M. Denning. It's a follow-up to The Sweetest Thing. It's The story is a, is a duet, so two brothers. first one is already out, and then the second one, The Secret Thing, is coming out January 15th. And I'm really excited about that because I loved the first story, and we get some little glimpses um, of the character's brother, who is the main uh, hero in this story, in that first book. And so I'm really eager to learn more about him and get his follow-up. And then I'm super, super excited that the next book in L.J. Hayward's Death and the Devil series is coming out on January 17th. Um, this one's called When Death Frees the Devil, and um, L.J. actually just did a cover and blurb reveal not too long ago on the blog for that, and I am an enormous fan. I think I've talked about it on the show before. Um, enormous fan of that series, Jack and Ethan. Um, are fabulous characters. It's wonderful suspense. And so I'm really excited to see the third book. There's a novella and some short stories in between, but I think this is considered the third official book um, coming out on the 17th. And LJ hinted in the cover reveal that this might not be the last one. So I think originally it was thought to be a trilogy and there might be more for them. So I can tell you I would read as many of these books as were written. So super excited about both of those coming up in mid-January. So definitely keep your eyes open. Fantastic. Good stuff for the new year. Yes, for sure. All right. Well, thank you for sharing all this good stuff with us. As always, we will, of course, link to everything in the show notes so folks can sure. go find the reviews on the blog and see every, everything that you posted for year in there. And uh, we wish you a very, very happy new year. Thank you, you too. The new adult hockey romance, Rivals, by Jeff Adams, is now available in audiobook as performed by Derek McLean. Mitchell Turner and Alex Goodman squared off on the ice throughout high school. Their rivalry was tough on Mitchell because he harbored a huge crush on Alex. With high school and college behind them, they meet unexpectedly on Thanksgiving Day once again on the ice. Mitchell is thrilled to see his one-time adversary all grown up. With their rivalry in the past, could this be the start of something magical for the holidays and beyond? Written by Jeff Adams and performed by Derek McLean, Rivals is available at Amazon.com, Audible, and iTunes. Also available in ebook. Get your copy today. Next up, we have our good friend Lisa from The Novel Approach. She's going to talk about some of her favorite books from the past year. I am excited to welcome Lisa back to the show from The Novel Approach. Hello. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you, too. It's always a pleasure to be here. So as we're heading into this last week of 2019, we're talking all about, of course, end-of-year favorites. Yeah. I have a few ideas what you're going to present on this list, but I will let you kick it off and see I'm if I'm right. Sure, I'm sure you know of at least one author who is on my list. It was, you know what, you know what, one of the things that really excited me when you invited me on for my end of year top five is looking back through the year, how many incredible books I read this year. I it know, was... 2019 was something. Wasn't it amazing? It was really a... a, a a comedy of riches, you know, where it just, I, I was looking through my list and thought, how in the world am I ever going to knock this down to five? It was tough. And I, and, and 
rereading back through some of my reviews and, and recalling, you know, sometimes you love a book so much and then you move on to the next one. Everything is very in the moment. And looking back and recalling how much I really, really loved some of the books I had the opportunity to experience this year was really great. So, so yeah, it was a, it was a great year and this was a, a tough list to come up with. It really was. I mean, I've, I've, I've been back and forth on mine so many times. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's easy to do because you, you think, oh, 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 I don't want to forget that book. You know, <laughs> I don't want to forget to mention that one. But, and uh, it, it's yeah. all the books I didn't get to read, too, just from a limited time yeah. frame. It's like, oh, that, that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I'll tell you, I, social media has been a really dangerous place for me this year in terms of like Twitter and Facebook and seeing other readers recommend books and seeing other authors recommend books and boy i mean i you know the 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 one click craze has been a little dangerous for me this year but i've found a lot of amazing books that way so it's yeah anybody who says that twitter doesn't sell books i would be happy to show them my credit card statement <laughs> that is a false narrative <laughs> so so tell us let's let's hear lisa's top 5 I, i'm going to start off with my most my most recent and, and again, because sometimes everything is just so in the moment and, and, and this book I just finished last week and it just released on the 17th and it is K.D. Edwards, The Hanged Man, which is book two in the tarot sequence, uh, sequence series. And it, 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 you know, I picked the last son. I, I remember at the end of the year last year, Picking the Last Sun, which is book one in the series, as as one of my top top picks of of 2018, and so I was really looking forward to this book, and and so I it, it just squeaked into this year. Katie Edwards is just such a consummate storyteller, and this this his imagination and this world that he has built, based upon the major arcana in the tarot cards, you know, the the major arcana, each card has such significance. And and each card in reversed or or in, in right side up can mean different things at, at the time when the card is played. And and so he really he really has captured not only the the meaning behind the 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 tarot cards, not even in the sense of fortune telling, but in actually what they have always uh, meant throughout, my gosh, centuries. Uh, so it's just the world building is the, the island of Atlantis has been destroyed in a war. The island of Atlantis was accidentally discovered. It was invaded. It was destroyed. And the Atlantean community has moved to Nantucket Island. <laughs> so, so of all places. So, so it's this, it, it, it is an entire community that through the magic of uh, the Atlantean culture has been, has been moved to this, this island in Nantucket and it's called New Atlantis. 
And Rune Sun is is of the Sun Throne. He is the scion of the Sun Throne. And the Sun Throne was completely destroyed during the Atlantean War. And Rune was quite young when it happened. And so he's just now kind of starting to come into his own. He's got a, you know, a terrible backstory to overcome. And and so he is just really starting to having having to come into the politics of the of the arcana kind of on the fly and he's not only having to to wade into it but he's having to kind of master it and play the game and and so the hanged man addresses some of the things that were introduced in book one with the hanged man which is one of the cards in the major arcana and he is a despicable horrible just evil evil the embodiment of evil and and time plays a huge factor in this so so kd has 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 employed so many different concepts of the very slippery thing that time is when you you know you can have too much time or too little of it and you can experience things time and time again and you know you can be on time you can be in time you can be out of time so it's just all of these these very fluid concepts of of how immaterial time really is but how much we experience it so deeply and and there is a manipulation of time in this book too and and that plays a huge role in in the story in a very interesting way. And I'm not going to even give any details about it because <laughs> it's really it, it, it's it's it, it's in parts very touching. It's all consuming. It's all encompassing the the different variations of the themes of love brotherly love, familial love, romantic love, the the connection between Rune and his his companion, which in this world is kind of almost a, a divine magical sort of communion between Rune and his companion brand. And the 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 deep bond that exists exists between them is not a romantic bond. It is. It, it really is a divine sort of of love, and and you know the where one goes, the other is is just kind of sacrosanct and it, it, just native to who they are, and it's just really beautiful. He just he just does all of these subtle little messaging things on top of just the imagination, which is just incredible, incredible. So, you know, that I, I always, again, I always has, hesitate to pick a favorite book of the year because, you know, you know, every book in it on my list is just amazing. But this is, it's a, conden a contender for one of the best books I've read all year, no doubt, hands down. So, so Katie Edwards, The Hangman, book two in the tarot sequence sequence. I, that's a tongue twister. I have a hard time saying that. The tarot sequence series. Just absolutely phenomenal. Phenomenal. I love how a book, you know, right at the end of the year squeaks right in there. Should I go should I go with uh should I go with my next pick? Yes, <laughs> let's let's, let's hear the next one. 
well, you know, I'm kind of a fan of Gregory Ash. And it was very difficult for me to choose between, did I want to, did I want to put the entire Borealis investigation series on there because I love North and Shaw, or did I just want to go with, with where my heart lies with Emery Hazard and John Henry Somerset and the rational faculty, which is book one of the second series of novels, um, that he has subtitled The Union of Swords. And you know what, I, I went with the rational faculty. Uh, again, it was, a, it, was, it was probably more a sentimental pick than it was a, 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 choice, a choice based upon story and, and, and the novels themselves. But you know, it, I think Gregory always reminds us that is as romantic as, as his couples are and, and and how romantic the love is that they have for each other, that love doesn't fix everything. It's not a magic fix. And so that really is a prominent theme going into this because Emery Hazard having quit the, the police force and, and, and being at, at loose ends is a really, really depressed Emery Hazard. I don't know if you've had a chance to read it yet. I have not, unfortunately. It's sitting well, there glaring at me I, on I, my TBR. Yeah, I'm not going to ruin it for you. But I, I don't think that that's really a spoiler, knowing no. knowing who Emery has been all along. And and so he's he's struggling a lot and and not lost in Emery's struggle is also John Henry really struggling. First of all because Emery's hurting, and second of all because John Henry has lost his partner on the police force. You know, Hazard and Somerset they were, I mean, they were a duo that they they got stuff done, right? They solved murders. They were they were in the heart of everything, and they they worked off of each other so well. You know, Emery and John Henry did all of the the bantering, and and I think Emery really pushed John Henry to to see, you know, uh, you're an amazing detective you know and and so it's 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 a book that that has a a lot of touching domestic themes to it between the two of them and yet there's also again my gosh this fantastic murder mystery going on not necessarily in the background at all i think that that's another thing that that Gregory does so well is is nothing really ever overshadows the other. The everything kind of works in concert and communion with each other. The the relationship issues complement the the criminal investigations and vice versa because John Henry and Emery are always so on on the same page, mm -hmm. you know. They 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 have such a such an amazing relationship. So so you know, he the whole, you know, I thought the the clues, you know, that <laughs> I'm so stupid. <laughs> Gregory's like, okay, here's a clue, and I'm like googling it. Can I figure out who the murderer is? Oh my goodness, you turned it I into a clue game. <laughs> I didn't figure out who the murderer was, or who am I trying to kid? <laughs> the the you know the murderer may not have even been on page yet. Who knows? But um, the murderer is someone who has a very vested interest in taunting Emery back into the investigation game. So I will I will say that, and so Emery himself is is very much uh, being again be, just being taunted, and and being challenged by whoever this this mysterious person is in the background, and so that's kind of how Emery gets back into 
the private investigating. Anybody who's read the Borealis investigation series knows that Emery and John Henry had a, a lovely cameo there. And so, so John Henry had kind of teased that he was trying to persuade Emery into doing any sort of private investigating or whatever. Well, this is the book where that, that where, where Emery is, is finally drawn into it because he misses it. It's, it, you know, for, for Emery, it was like, it was his reason to breathe, you know, the, the just the whole, his mind, Emery Hazard's mind without a, a puzzle to solve, without a murder to solve, without a mystery to solve is not an Emery Hazard. It's a foreign Emery Hazard. So right. it's, you know, yeah. So, so I think that Gregory did just such an amazing job of, of getting that across and then, luring Emery back into it and he keeps it a secret so there's this this underlying friction and it, it just it, you know it, it just all played out so beautifully and and the title yeah his titles always are are so are mm-hmm. so great and how they tie into the the theme of the book and so the rational faculty has a the faculty of the local university is very much a central part of of the story and so the dual meaning of rational faculties and the rational faculty is just it, it it's you know it, it's just uh hallmark gregory ash it's exactly what you would expect it to be it's exciting it's it's suspenseful it's you know romantic it just encompasses so many different things and then of course there's that that longer arc of we don't know who the murderer is yet so that's going to be playing out over however many i think he's got five books maybe plotted out for this one don't quote me on that but i think i can't five. remember but it, it's a few <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's i think it's more than a trilogy for sure so so yeah what's the third in your list okay my Third one is is the novel Carved in Bone by Michael Nava. So this is, and I, you know, I probably I'm probably getting this wrong, but I think okay, he he released Lay Your Sleeping Head, and then has released Carved in Bone, which I think is kind of the the second book of the the new iteration of the Henry Rios novels, but I think it's like kind of fits in as the eighth book of the original iteration. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent how that goes, but uh, this is the, the direct sequel to lay your sleeping head. And of course, you know, I, I, I know so many people are, are familiar with Michael Nava's work and how foundational he was to the, the gay mystery genre back in the 80s when this these books are set and Henry is such an amazing he is such a great character he is in carved in bone he has he is in rehab he was just and I guess I should say he's a recovering alcoholic but he had nearly drank himself to death after the events that happened in Lay Your Sleeping Head. And so he is in recovery now. He is no longer employed because of his drinking problem. So he's kind of doing private investigating and 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 trying to make ends meet while while not, you know, consuming to the the depression that led him to the bottle in the first place. So he has been hired by an insurance company to investigate uh, a a claim, an insurance claim for the death of 
uh, of a man that may or may not have happened under suspicious circumstances. And so Henry's Henry's story is uh, in set in 1984. So it very much revolves around what the uh, landscape of San Francisco was like back, back in 1984. And so, of course, the AIDS epidemic is is on focus here as as one would expect for a story realistically set during that time. And so, you know, the whole entire book, and it, it, I hate to say this because I don't want it to sound depressing, but it really is a book that's just completely composed of loneliness and fear. And, and that very much influences the death of the character that Henry is investigating and, and really shines a light on what San Francisco was composed of at that time, which was a lot of a lot of throwaway young people, mm-hmm. people who had had gone there because their families had uh, had disowned them, and and that was that was kind of the that was the place to go where you n- knew you were going to find a family, your found family, people who who would love you no matter what, right? So that very much is is what happens with with the the main character of the novel. His his family gives him two hundred bucks and he gets on a bus and goes to San Francisco. And again, I Henry Brios is just such an amazing character and he is he is tenacious and he is such a sympathetic character, such an empathetic character. And, and this is, this is not a book where that it would be in any way considered a a romance. It's just, it's just an amazing procedural mystery with a character who just is, is such a deeply flawed, but immensely relatable and, and lovable kind of person. And so, you know, I, I really, I, I can't say enough about having discovered Michael Nava. I hadn't read any of the Henry Rios books before he had offered me a review copy of Lay Your Sleeping Head. And, and so it was, it was, it was educational for me to learn about how important he was to, to the writing community, the LGBTQ fiction literary community back when he first wrote the books and, and how he is still such a mainstay. And I, I think that that's uh, one of the things that is so particularly really evident in the the way that he writes and what he writes and, and the characters that he introduces is that they, they kind of transcend the era, you know, and the way things were back in the 80s are they're still so very relevant today and he's you know he's just a kind of one of those pinnacle kind of authors for me now having having read these books that but you know uh, Dave Branstetter and Henry Rios are just you know they they are really uh foundational sort of mystery characters uh, mystery genre characters I should say yeah. and I uh, you know when you first when you first discover an an, an entire community of books of course you're going to read what's what's the newest and what's the latest because it's what's in front of you and so i had the luxury of doing that 
And then I also had the luxury of going back and reading some of these some of these books to to kind of try to understand where where this all sort of started. And then there was that gap, you know. And then you know how it how it evolved into this new generation. I think it's important to kind of give everybody a reminder that you know the the birth of the birth of this community didn't happen, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. It's been around all along and and it's kind of great to be able to bring those those books back into people's consciousness, so to speak. Okay, so so carved in bone, Henry Rios Mysteries, Michael Novot. That was amazing. Okay, I know I've talked to you about this book ad nauseum, Ziggy Stardust and Me by James Brandon. I had a really, I had a hard time picking which young adult book I, I loved the most this year. I really read a lot of amazing YA, and I don't know uh, if I've just been missing these books in years past or what, but I really, really read some fantastic young adult novels this year, but Ziggy Stardust and Me really rose to the top. This novel is set in 1973, so there are some topics in, uh, that are addressed in the book that are probably not uh, going to be easily consumed by some folks because it addresses the fact that, that, that homosexuality at that time was still considered a psychological disorder. And so the main character, Jonathan Collins, who is in, in, in a junior in high school, is, is going through some, some aversion therapy, which is, those scenes are extremely just sad and difficult to read. But ultimately, this story is just is a story. It's a triumph. It is a story of two boys who could not be uh, more different in terms of culture and in terms of family acceptance and 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 self acceptance. And so Jonathan meeting Webb in a football field bathroom. Webb is is hiding out in in one of the stalls and and because he just kind of doesn't want to go to school and Jonathan is running away from bullies and so they meet as these two disembodied voices in the bathroom and they don't know who each other are but eventually they are introduced and they are put in, in put together in a classroom project and they draw closer and the story is just it, it almost has this kind of idyllic feel while dealing with all of these heavier subjects and and Webb's family is Native American and so it gets into the idea that the two-spirited people in Native American culture were were not anathema to you know their beliefs or or whatever that the, that it was very much accepted and in some in some cases uh, the two spirited were even being held up to more spiritual level even so it it gets into these things that again I, I i really learned a lot you know from this and so the the story of jonathan and and webb falling in love but it but it again James Brandon treating their relationship in such a way that he acknowledges that they were still very young and there were you know they they didn't ride off into the sunset together it was very it was so touching and and so realistic and it didn't mean that they did not keep in touch 
it meant very much that it was it was just understood that he couldn't have ended the story with them both being juniors in high school <laughs> and living happily ever after, you know. Right. But his his writing is just uh, it, it is he has kind of a like a mesmerizing tone to his writing and that I maybe that's just the the most adequate word to describe this book it mesmerized me every single word of it just the the beauty of it and 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 the the idol of it amongst all of these underlying things for Jonathan that he was having to cope with and and it's a healing story you know it's very much a healing story too which is which is kind of really the ultimate triumph in the end so it was just, it's just a really, really, it's a beautiful, beautiful book. It, it really, it was so easy. It was so easy to fall into and fall in love with. So, so Ziggy Stardust and Me by James Brandon. That's, yeah, that's that was been stuck on my TBR since you first told it to me. Yeah, uh, it had... really is just, it's gorgeous. Really, really a beautiful book. Awesome. So best YA this year, for sure. So here we are, book five. This is my cheat. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm and my 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 reason for cheating is probably really lame, but I just could not pick. So so my tie for fifth is a crown of iron and silver by Haley Turner. See, I knew Haley which, was going to get here somewhere. Yeah, which is book three of the Soulbound series, but book two of the Darkest Court series, The Marked Prince by M. A. Grant. Also had to squeak in there, and my cheat on it is that they both deal with with the fae and mythology and legend <laughs> so that's that's my cheat that's my cheat but but set in very vastly different settings obviously Haley turner's soulbound series is very much urban fantasy set in contemporary new york but the crown of iron and silver oh boy that goes on such a journey it goes to you know, we end up in in the the aisles in in the realms of the fae and they they relied both of these both of these series rely so heavily and so beautifully on the, on Haley's and M.A. Grant's ability to just really spin a, a tale for 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 lack of of better descriptors they just the Emmy Grant series takes place solely in the the Seely and the Unseely courts. So it is it is set firmly in the Fey realms, and where where Haley's brings in the Fey realms into into this very magical contemporary world, right? So the the it, Haley's book is is just really continuing on with Patrick and Jono. Who are the main characters, and and they're building, uh, they're they're building a pack because Jono is he is, oh he's a wolf shifter, and and so pack obviously he's an alpha wolf, and so it's very germane to him that he he needs pack, and and he and Patrick having their soul bond, and kind of gathering this mix of 
of shifters and and friends and them becoming family is it kind of gives the the whole mystery aspect of it and the danger and the action and suspense this very warm and touching feeling and of course the romantic feelings uh, all boiling into that so yeah Haley I mean you know it's just like I don't even know what to say anymore <laughs> this series is is just it, it's just so amazing and then of course M.A. Grant is doing the same with the darkest court in setting her stories in the fey realms of the Sealy and the Unsealy court and there's this big looming war coming now so so book three is is coming out I think in April of 2020 and it's called happens to be called the Iron Crown which see there there's another tie in <laughs> to those two but it's called the Iron Crown and it's going to wrap up the trilogy and her her writing again it's you just sink into it it almost has a lyrical poetic prose feel to it but it's never purple she never goes over the top but it's just it's so just so beautiful and so atmospheric and you know you never get the feeling that she doesn't know these characters or this world i mean she knows this character these characters she knows this world it's so obvious when she plotted this out that from book one to book three she knew exactly what was going to happen and exactly how she was going to get there and it's all just come together so far so so beautifully and how the characters are driving things forward and the roles that they that the first two couples that have been introduced are going to play into now the the next the next book and and the next new set of characters and it's just all wrapped up it's kind of like a what's past is prologue so everything that's happened before is now going to be so integral to book three so so that's my cheat the marked prince by m.a grant and a crown of iron and silver by Haley turner they're just two absolutely phenomenal series just just gorgeous for anybody who loves any sort of urban fantasy, high fantasy, fantasy, folklore, mythology. It's just, it's both series just have it all. They have it all. Awesome. I'm glad I got, I, I was right about Haley showing up. So I got two. Yes. <laughs> you had to know, right? You had to know. I'm yeah. Just such if Haley wasn't fan. on there, I was gonna be like, hmm, what? Are you sure? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Such a huge fan. That's, it's just such an amazing series. Let's take a sneak peek into uh, 2020. What are you looking forward to? Well, you know, as as only one of the books on my list was a standalone, Ziggy Stardust and Me is a standalone. Every single other book that I mentioned is is do a sequel. I, even I'm not sure. I can't say that the Henry Rios mysteries is do a sequel in 2020, but I'm sure Michael will be releasing another Henry novel because his, his Henry's Henry's story is not done yet. So the Iron Crown, as I mentioned, by M.A. Grant, which comes out in April. Police Brutality, which is the next Hazard and Somerset book, comes out at the end of January. So woohoo, we don't have to wait very long for that one. And I'm not sure when the next book in the Soulbound series is coming out, but it, I'm, I'm sure that it's going to be coming out, uh, you know, early-ish 2020, based upon the fact that I know Haley's already writing it. So, mm -hmm. so that's exciting. And of course, you know, I, hopefully I don't have to wait another whole year for the next tarot sequence book, but I, you know, uh, that will definitely be right up there in my anticipation bank for, for reading. So yeah. And, you know, just to throw in another one, this is a, a book that was like this close to making my list uh, of the top five, this Allie Theron Spellbound 
It was such an amazing read. And so her next book, and I want to make sure I get the name right, Starcrossed, which is book two in the Magic in Manhattan series, comes out from Karina in May. So I'm extremely excited about that book too. So so those are just a few of the ones that I'm looking for. Of course, you know, then Jordan Castillo Price has the next Psychop book out, and I'm like, oh, I can't wait till that. So there's just too many. <laughs> there's too many. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you for capping off 2019 and giving us a little bit of a peek into 2020. Can't wait to see what you're going to add to my TBR the next time we talk. Oh, well, thank you for always letting me come on and just talk and ramble about books because it's like, it's really my favorite subject. Want to hang out with us between shows? Check us out on Facebook. You never know what we might post. News about book sales, bonus video content, and maybe even a live broadcast or two. Like us today at Facebook.com slash Big Gay Fiction Podcast and see what we get up to next. Books, books, and more books, Jeff. <laughs> You're, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because I'm a little nervous. Asking him what his favorite books are means he's probably just going to go off for quite a while. I'm going to ask anyway, what are your favorite books of the past year? I promise I'm not going to go off. And if, you, if I start to go off the rails, you just rein me I'll, back in. Yeah, I'll reel you back in. No worries. I mentioned at the end of last week's show that coming up with favorites this year has been super hard. There have been so many incredible books. There's books out there on my TBR that I wanted to get to that could have made this list that there simply just weren't time for. I seriously need like two months off where I'm not writing and I'm not working and I'm just reading books. Anyway, here we go. I have a top five and then I'm going to give like two other quote unquote awards, if you will, because I just couldn't fit them all in. So these top five are not in order. Uh, They're actually by uh, order of author last name. And I'm going to kick it off with Goalie Interference by Avon Gale and Piper Vaughn. I'm always down for hockey romance, but this book in particular is among my all-time favorite hockey romances. Piper and Avon gave us Rayu and Emmett, two goalies who are vying for the starting position on the same team. They are both driven to work hard, but Rayu takes it all so very seriously, and it just great on him that Emmett is a little more carefree. This was such an ideal enemies to friends to lovers romance with just awesomely racially diverse characters, and I just loved every minute of it. Next up, Heart Song by T.J. Klune. This continued the saga of the Bennett Pack and the Green Creek series. So many devastating consequences in this book, as T.J. is so good at, he will just stomp on your heart all over and then Put it back together again so you're ready for the next round. Just another extraordinary read in this series. As I, <laughs> You can't talk about it without spoilers, so I'm just going to move on. If you haven't done Green Creek, you really need to do so. Next is Wild Love by Lucy Lennox. This really vies for one of the best all-time books that I've ever read. This decade-long story of Doc and Grandpa just touched my heart so, so much. It's one of the Forever Wild series, and the fact that she was able to take two characters who we'd seen throughout the Forever Wild series and then go back in time and show us how they got to their happily ever after was just masterful. Uh, You don't need to read the entire Wild Love series to do this book, but you should definitely pick this one up because it was extraordinary. As I spoiled earlier in the show, I've got Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston. 
this was an enemies to sort of friends to lovers book. Not only was this a compelling story between the first son of the United States and the Prince of Wales, these two guys have the weight of their countries on their shoulders because of the positions that they hold. And they figured out how to have a romance after getting over their, their hate for each other. And it gave so much hope. We live in such trying political times for so many of us. And this showed us what the country could be like, what it should be like. And it was just a warm, fuzzy read for me. And, and this book now sits on my shelf of all-time favorites. The last of my top five is A Gentleman Never Keeps Score by Cat Sebastian. I love Cat's historical novels and always have, but this one in particular really somehow struck a chord with me. We've got Hartley, who is a disgraced man of society. He's disgraced because of where his inheritance came from. And you've got Sam, who's a retired boxer who now runs a pub, which is a haven for those in the free black community. These two men are thrown together because Sam is looking to recover a scandalous portrait of his sister that should have been in Hartley's house, but wasn't because it had been moved. So these two are thrown together trying to find that portrait. And through that starts a love story that was just incredible. The diverse cast here is incredible, and it really allows Kat to explore even more themes of class and how male-male relationships could have happened back in those days. Just really an extraordinary book. I have two other call-outs to make for bodies of work. As you know, if you've listened to the show this year, 2019 was a year of Gregory Ash for me. I read five of the books in the original Hazard and Somerset series, plus Orientation, which was the first book in the Borealis Investigation series. Now, I admit those Hazard and Somerset books were published in 2018, but I read them this year, so I'm counting them in this list. Gregory's body of work is just extraordinary. The way he builds his mysteries and, and the thriller aspects is just incredible. I would like him to give me a masterclass in how to do that because it's just wonderful. And the way that he moves his romances through the arcs of his books is just also wonderful if you're into slow burn romance. So thank you, Gregory, for so much good reading this year. And then my other one is The Dreamer Series by Adriana Herrera. This was the year that we met Nesto and Jude, Camilo and Thomas, Patrice and Easton, and their stories were just incredible. I mean, amazing multicultural love stories set in our very real world. The romances were on target, and the issues for persons of color uh, were not left on the side. Adriana faced them head on and gave us a real world portrait of the romances that these men set up. And I look so forward to seeing what Adriana brings us in 2020. For my look forward, it's going to be a year of T.J. Klune. He's got three books coming out in the new year. The House in the Cerulean Sea comes out March 17th. We finally get to see what a young adult novel from T.J. Klune looks like with The Extraordinaires on May 5th. And the Green Creek finale happens with Brother Song on August 18th. And I cannot wait to read those books. Now, if you're interested in learning more about the books we've talked about on this week's show, all you have to do is go to the show notes page for episode 221 at biggayfictionpodcast.com. 
definitely check out the show notes page because all of these books deserve to be on your TBR. And what better way to start the new year than with a bigger TBR than you already had? (laughs) Okay, guys, I think that'll do it for this week's show. Now, coming up in episode 222, Matt Lubbers Moore from Requeered Tales Publishing. He's going to be joining us. We love the work they're doing to bring back some vintage gay fiction titles, and it's a great story on how they go about doing their work. Remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. New episodes of this show are available every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. You can help support this show with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For more information about joining our community and the bonus content we deliver, check out patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. I'm Kurt Graves. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. 